This is the My Michelle Live podcast. Get ready to get geeky at SciTech Talk. Here's Michelle. Today on SciTech Talk, talking about truth. What is truth? I was born for one purpose to bear witness to the truth. All who can accept the truth hear my voice. And what is the truth? Will the truth set you free? (laughs) Maybe, if you can figure out what it is. Dealing with truth and finding what really is truth and dealing with, well, not so reality, we're going to look in to technology that kind of, well, fakes you out. It's time for King's Tech Report. See the boy, King. Tech, 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 tech. How King's Tech Report on My Michelle Live. Yeah, King. How'd you get so funky? How'd you get so funky? Yeah, King. <laughs> that, what do you think of being all funkalicious? That's a wonderful question. I really have no idea because I was a nerd in school. <laughs> well, now you're funky. So funky. Oh, my gosh. Um, so let me just introduce to you uh, King. He is our video guru and the man behind the tech report. Uh, Giselle Infante joins us as well because, well, it's just fun to have her around. And she is our promotions and marketing girl for My Michelle Live. This podcast that we put together because we thought it was so important. We're just a bunch of folks trying to get a good story out to you. But today, guys, we're we're faking it out a little bit. <laughs> we're we're doing it because we're we're in a world where we don't know what is real and what is not. Hence, all of the hoopla over fake news. King, you actually have a new product, a new technology that will fake us out even more. Oh, yes. So further and further, it's harder to tell what is real and what is fake in movies. Like now we have CGI that looks photorealistic. Um, and it, it honestly just gets worse for us humans because now we have something called deep fake. And yes. what deep fake is, Deepfake is, the name is a portmanteau of deep learning and fake. Basically what happens is an AI will take a look at a video, it'll find a face inside of that video, and then it can switch that face with someone else's face. Lord. So we've already seen that employed with uh, some of our politicians. You can see a video and say, I saw, I saw, you know, and it was used a lot with, with Trump uh, because you, you could put something ridiculous and that he said, and people will say, yeah, that sounds like him. So it was Not really easy Trump, to, actually. to it's been, out. it's been used with Obama. It's been used with yes. Biden. It's been Pelosi. Used- Pelosi, um, there is a group on YouTube called Corridor Digital, sorry, Corridor Digital, and they make basically what, they basically make video journals about all the cool special effects that they can do with computers now. And one of their episodes was actually about 
deep fake technology. And what they did was they took two things they did. One, they took, um, I'm blanking on his name. I don't know why. Um, the guy um, who does Mission Impossible. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Thank you. Yeah, yeah they, they took um, Tom Cruise's face. And put it on one of their um, workers' faces, one of their employees. <laughs> <laughs> so they they actually did another deep quote. fake that was even better recently. They, yeah. uh, they, they redid they, they uh, they Star Wars. They did Tom Luke Skywalker. Okay, Luke Skywalker. Okay. Cool. So, okay, hold on, hold on. So, two things. One, they did Tom Cruise and had a quote-unquote interview with him, where they just put his face over one of the employees. They did the same with Keanu Reeves, and they had Keanu Reeves stop a robbery. And then, like Giselle was just saying, they actually, they wanted to test their skills of creating a CGI version of young Luke Skywalker. And they wanted to, they wanted to compare their efforts versus what Disney did in the new Mandal in the second season of Mandalorian. Kind of gauge their skills. Wow. That's amazing. Honestly, the the vote is that they did better. Okay. Well, even if they did comparable. Sorry. I haven't seen it yet because I'm still watching the show. So no, no spoilers. Even if it's comparable, I'm just saying that's that's really amazing. There's advertisements on uh, social media now where you can click on an app and it can put you in uh, the, a movie. So it can replace you in Belle uh, with... Um, with Beauty and the Beast, it can put you as the starlet or star in a movie, just fix your face on the existing character. So it really is amazing, but it's getting so good that it's hard to know what's real and what's not. Then on top of it, King, you also have some information on a, a sound technology that is all immersive. Yes. So this is what's called binaural audio. And the, no, the most basic way of making binaural audio is by taking essentially two microphones inside of a housing that has ear shapes on the outside. So it kind of replicates how the ears work. And then each of these microphones will work on like either left or right tracks for audio. And so it can, if you listen to audio from these guys, from these microphones, you'll think that you're in like New York, New York, New York Square, right? Times yeah. Square. Times Square. That's Time it. Square. That's <laughs> it. Times Square. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting all the words. Um, so it's like, words it can make you think overrated. that you're in Times Square. Or you, it'll make you think you're in the middle of a forest or other stuff like that. And um, shameless plug here, but I've actually been experimenting with it myself. Ooh, and? And I took two songs from The Greatest Showman 
and I separated the vocal tracks and the background vocals and the music, and I had fun with them. I decided to make it sound like, um, like if he sang a certain line as a whisper, I made it sound like it was right next to one of your ears instead of the other one, instead of both. So you experienced that with headphones. How is it, how does it feel different then from stereo surround sound? It, It always depends on how it's used. Like, for example, um, if you have a stereo surround sound in your living room for, or like a home theater, and if they do it, if they mix the audio properly, instead of just like hearing, um, like, say, a car honks in the background, if they engineer, if the audio engineer does it right, they can actually make it sound like it's behind you Whoa. and just help create. It helps create the ambience of the scene. Ah, and you can have that kind of feeling. When you're in a theater, they will utilize some of uh, sound technology, and you may have heard it in in an immersive environment with... with uh, multi-dimensions when you've seen movies that come out in 3d 4d whatever uh, you can almost hear the train going from one side to the other but this is taking it uh, multi-dimensionally because you have front back up down and you have this feeling of being in the middle if you can imagine and I'm, I'm just projecting this guys but it's like when you have um when you have a, a a virtual reality headgear on and you feel immersed in an environment up down and such it's it's kind of the same thing just for sound oh yeah and that's probably the best example of where it's or the most common example of where it's used in is in virtual reality like there are there is a there's something called VR chat and it's literally just a giant chat room that you play around in as your avatar. That's crazy. And guys, you know what though? You know that old saying, Giselle, seen is believing. Uh, you can't yeah. use that anymore. You can't seen isn't believing. Hearing isn't believing anymore. I hate you can't even trust your sense of smell anymore. Uh, movie theaters <laughs> oh, are now, uh, I mean, malls have been doing it for years where they uh, have soundscaping malls and amusement parks where they have certain smells coming out of certain areas. And it's in order to uh, kind of push you down the right things. They have sounds playing to immerse you into the theme park and to send you on your way and to make you hungry when you're in the food area and things like that. But now movie theaters are doing it too. They have sounds that will, uh, that'll play with the movie, but they'll have certain smells. Okay. You know what we have not developed yet though, something that we can record taste because there's been times where I've had a bite of something where I thought, I wish I, there was an app for this so I could, you know, text you, Hey King, Giselle, I just ate this. This is what it tastes like. We haven't been able to do that yet, but at this point, I'm not going to leave that out of the realm of possibility. And Michelle, yes, no, no, yes, no, no. Okay. So, 
So Shut this, up. This, is actually, this came out a few years ago, actually. There were researchers who were, they developed, it's basically just a water bottle. And in the top, in the neck of the water bottle, it will spritz just tiny little amounts of different stuff of like a basic five number of tastes and create almost anything that you could imagine tasting like in liquid form, of course. Oh my goodness. Okay. Now it's just the future is weird. here. <laughs> the future is here. Oh, my it's... giddy aunt. I am telling you, so that just confirms oh, what no. we're talking about today. You really cannot trust your senses. It's hard to know what is truth and what is not truth. We have been able to play with reality to the point where truth i guess has almost become relative what a this has been one of the craziest king tech reports that we have had as of yet so cool thank you so much guys for hanging out you're welcome michelle thank you michelle see the boy king tech 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 king's tech report on my michelle live Mainstream media is operating in a propaganda-rich environment. There is an intentional deception on one side, and there is an honest, if imperfect, process of trying to get as near the truth as we can on the other. People are actually confusing real and fake news, especially if they see it online. The first example of Pizzagate is on a Reddit post. People become convinced that Kama Pizza is like this child rape dungeon. Somebody walking into a DC pizzeria with a rifle and firing it off. My staff go table to table, telling each table that they need to go. The customers are like, oh no, we're here to support you. No, you don't understand, there's a guy here with a gun. Looks like they got a rent-a-mob Soros bus here. How do you know that? I just saw it out the window. Looks no like. evidence to suggest that is a Soros mob bus. Then he goes and tweets it. Are we trending? That's the real question. He's just created fake news. We didn't try to use fake news. It's become a tool of war. Other terrible negative potential consequences. But so what? That's what I say. Challenging what is knowable is a fundamental way to ensure that you and I can't ever compromise on anything. The next thing you know, there is nothing about this democracy that is real. That soundbite was from a trailer. The trailer is from Truth After Truth. Disinformation and the Cost of Fake News came out in 2020. Today on SciTech Talk, we are looking into truth. Can we figure out what the truth is? Can the truth set us free? Can science give us a little hand? Because it seems to have gotten out of hand. Do you remember this from about August, uh, June, June? It was June of last year where a journalist called on Denzel Washington because, well, he was the subject of what was reported as fake news and they wanted to get his thoughts on it. This is what he said. We're here in D.C. There's been a lot of buzz about this fake news. You were the subject of a fake news story. Oh yeah, what they say? I was running for president. No, no, no I voted. No, what they say? You switched your support. I switched. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you make of all the fake news and it affects If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. No. So what do you do? 
That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have to be, to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy it. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at. All right. All right, Michelle. We already know truth is a problem. Truth is subjective. Truth is, well, what I feel truth is right. Well, there is actually a science behind it. There's a science behind why you are so, and I am so prone to fake news because it's kind of created that way. You've been programmed to think what you're thinking. You surround yourself with the same input and it just, well, basically it feels good. Going with your gut is probably a good strategy, but in areas like physics where the answers are counterintuitive and there are many common misconceptions, it's important to be more skeptical. This vigilance takes effort and it's also associated with being unhappy. Have you ever noticed that some of the best scientists and analytical minds are grumpy and suspicious of everything? I mean, I think this could be more than just poor social skills. It may be essential for them to do their job. And this is a paradox of learning and critical thinking. Cognitive ease is pleasant. It is effortless, familiar, and it really does make you more creative and intuitive, but it can also trick you. It may make things seem true that aren't. That soundbite came from sciencealert.com. I love it. It gives you some insight into what is happening to us. Listen up, my friend. This is happening to our society. It's happening to you. Let's look a little bit deeper into how it works. A really interesting experiment that was done. This study kind of gives you some thought, some food for thought. As we think about the world that we're in right now, more from that same source. The things we're exposed to repeatedly feel more true. Now, the way this seems to work is through a mechanism called cognitive ease. Cognitive ease is a measure of how hard your brain is working, from easy, like when you're scrolling through Facebook, to hard, like if you're trying to multiply 14 times 37 in your head. Things that are true generally elicit cognitive ease, like fire is hot, earth revolves around the sun, dogs have four legs, and so on. Not only do these things feel true, they also feel familiar, effortless, and they feel good. All of these are outcomes of cognitive ease. Now, the trouble arises because cognitive ease can be artificially created in other ways. One way is just by repeating the stimulus. In a classic experiment at two Michigan universities, experimenters took out ads in the school newspapers. Each ad consisted only of one of these nonsense words. Cardiga, Cerisic, Baiwani, Nansoma, Ekitaf. They were printed with different frequencies. One word appeared in the paper only once, while others appeared two, five, ten, or twenty-five times. The word frequencies were reversed at the other university. At the end of the experiment, researchers sent out questionnaires asking people to rate the meaning of each of these nonsense words on a scale from it means something good to it means something bad. And the findings were clear. The more frequently the word had appeared in the newspaper, the more people felt it meant something good. So with enough repetition, even a nonsense word comes to feel familiar. It triggers cognitive ease and overall feelings of goodness. So what do we do? What do we do to determine truth? What is truth? And since we look to science as the be all end all, can we look to science to help us figure out what truth is? Turns out, oh, 
You're not going to like this answer. Maybe not so much. Listen to this. All we can do in science is construct theories. And that means, for example, that what we're ultimately doing is not about the truth. This is a confusion, I think, that exists in many people's minds. Science is not about finding the truth. What science is about is making our beliefs of nature less false. These are two different things. And the second one involves mathematics, imagination, and the ability to measure. So we're making our beliefs less false. We're, we're not necessarily finding a truth. In fact, I'm not sure truth actually exists in science. And this is, in fact, a very famous statement that uh, Einstein made, that he's not sure what truth means in the context of science. Well, that's crazy, because we sure throw around a lot of phrases like science denier and using science to beat each other up with. So maybe that means in science, we need to keep asking the questions and not shutting out voices. Thank you to The Big Think for that great soundbite. My Michelle Live comes to you with thanks from one of our affiliates, in particular, Real Bearded Men. Check out their products, all for our bearded listeners. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards, let that thing grow wild from ear to ear. They say you're so cute, clean shaven, I'm so sorry, dear. This ain't no shave, no members, no shaving. Our brothers with beards. We have a special deal with Real Bearded Men. Go to our website, get a coupon code, and use the link. You'll get the best deal on products for men with beards. And now, reasons to believe. truth and we're willing to uh, cancel the rest of the world because of it. On SciTech Talk today, we're searching science for what we can really know. What really is truth? As we ask that question, always a delight to have with us from Reasons to Believe, Jeff Zwierink. Jeff, hey. Michelle, it's good to be here. Always enjoy our conversation. Looking forward to our time to talk today. I know, it's like hanging out with an old friend. Uh, Jeff is an astrophysicist. He's a research scholar at Reasons to Believe. He's written books that will mind blown, uh, pieces of brain matter everywhere. Uh, is there life out there? Who's afraid of the multiverse? It's pretty cool. Uh, and he is a frequent flyer here on our program. So Jeff, this is the crazy interesting thing that we are going to talk about today. How do we know that our reality really is reality? What if we are in some kind of computer game or simulation? What if we're just an AI that thinks it's real? What if what if it's like um, Total Recall or some of the other <laughs> movies that we've seen? Does, does that sound like a very scientific question? I don't know, but I think it's fascinating. How do we know what's real? Well, it is. It's one of those questions that you think, okay, that's just you know, made out sci-fi stuff. I don't know, really like the multiverse? That, that that could be considered <laughs> exactly, one of the... Yeah. And you wrote a book on it, so, you know, that's why you're here today. 
and maybe it is. I just like investigating stuff like this. But the, so, so the idea out there um, that people have thrown around, and it's kind of started in philosophical circles, but there's actually uh, ways that we can talk about investigating it scientifically. And it's just this idea that we're part of a giant simulation. And that this, you know, maybe it's kind of like the Matrix, only that even is they're just pumping in uh, data into a mind that's already there. The idea here would be, and I'll, and I'll give you an example of why, why people think this, is you know, when I was in graduate school, my ma- what I studied was gamma rays. And so we built telescopes to try and find gamma rays. And what we would do is there, there were two avenues we would do to do that. One, we would build the telescopes to go out and look, but then you couldn't just build every configuration or know where to look or, or all those sorts of things. You couldn't explore all the options. So what we would do was on our computers, we would build models of our telescope and models of the atmosphere and simulate gamma rays coming through the atmosphere and through our telescope so that we, get, we could get a... Uh, I could do a whole bunch of experimentation just on the computer that didn't require the resources of actually going out and building it. And I can tell you this, I simulated far more gamma rays than we ever detected. And so that's kind of the idea behind this, is when we look at the world and say, what if, what if there's this very advanced civilization that has enormous computing power and they have so much access that they can simulate conscious reality or conscious beings would they simulate a universe like ours? And that raises the question, if they would do that, are we part of that, are we part of one of those simulations or are we actually the things that really exist? So that's kind of the scientific idea behind all of this. Uh, yeah, and how wonderful that we are in such a prosperous society that we have the time to sit around and contemplate things like that, <laughs> honestly. But... Is there any bite to it? Is there any evidence that would make us go, whoa? Well, so, so the evidence, there's nothing hard that I go out and say, okay, because we measure this, therefore. But there are some you know, kind of anecdotal things or things that lend credence to the idea. I mean, one, if it's possible to do these kinds of simulations, like I said, in terms of looking for gamma rays, I did I, – I, made far more simulated gamma rays than I ever did experimental gamma or measured gamma rays. And so if we can do that, the idea that we're part of a simulation now becomes a very present idea. But when we look at the universe, there are these things that are there that we don't really have a good explanation for. So for example, uh, the speed of light has a certain speed uh, or, or light travels at a certain speed. And for reasons that we don't entirely understand, it is impossible to exceed that speed limit. And so uh, one of the things that might be is, you know, if, if you look at it from a simulation perspective, simulations often take shortcuts to be able to do things. Uh, so, uh, you know, when we were doing gamma rays to the atmosphere, I didn't look at every atom. My simulation didn't have every atom it did things kind of in, in aggregate. And so there were shortcuts that I put in there, which meant that there were resolution. If I tried to push too hard on it, I was going to get it wrong. So I, I put in boundaries so that you just never looked that tall. Well, maybe the speed of light is one of those boundaries. Uh, you know, we look at quantum mechanics and there are things that we can know the position and the momentum at, to arbitrary position. But if you put them together, there's a limit to how well you can know those. 
These are the sorts of things that people look and say, you know, if we're a simulation, that might be a reflection that we live in a simulated reality, that there's just a resolution that we can't get below. So there are some, I wouldn't call those evidence as in, oh, okay, this is definitely supportive. But if we lived in a simulation, that would provide a ready explanation for some of those things that we measure very well when we do look at the real world. Okay, now we're going to Michelle it, and I'm going to say that sounds like uh, maybe if you've watched the Truman Show, that movie, where <clears throat> he's in this n- not real world, and and he's the only one who doesn't know it, and when something kind of weird happens, well, he just it just gets explained away, and I say that because Psychology Today. Um, summer of last year had something to say about a kind of a simulation that our brains create. It said this, I have the quote, your subjective perceptions are representations of the external world. It's like a form of virtual reality. They say in a sense, we are like brains in the matrix, which you mentioned, trapped within our skulls. Mm -hmm. We're receiving inputs that are basically simulations of the external world, and then our brains are trying to figure out what it means. If we see something that seems out of the ordinary, our brain tries to figure out what that means. When we look at the clouds in the sky and we see um, turtles dancing with uh, maracas, we, we, you know, create that because our brains are trying to make it make sense of what we're seeing. And so they say, well, in a sense, it's almost like we are in a virtual reality. You know, and there's there's some aspect where I res- really resonate with that. But if we're part of a simulated reality, if you will, um, then that actually raises some very troubling questions. Who's messing with us is what, the big one. What, well, yeah, but who's messing with us? But even beyond that, there, we we see this as reality, that this is actual existing stuff. The gamma rays that I simulated, they don't actually exist. They're something other than gamma rays. And so if that's true, that we're a simulation in this purely mechanistic, naturalistic way of looking at it, then our mind, I mean, think about that. What we thought is reality is completely wrong. And if that's true, something that we're so ingrained to think is true is wrong why would we have any reason to trust what our minds come up with at that point in time i mean even if we were to say okay we're a part of a simulation there's almost a way we're saying we're part of a simulated reality as a self-defeating proposition because in order to get there we have to say that what we see is not real what's beyond is real but we have no reason to trust the, our minds because they're not real in the first place if we're just purely naturalistic things so, that, so there's this cognitive dissonance. We don't have any reason to believe what we believe about reality if we're part of this simulation. And so I think there's some very troubling things, unless if Christianity is correct, because then that solves all that problem. Uh-oh, and there it goes. Right there, he brings it to the God story. Boom! You can't talk to Jeff with it without him turning it around to some God thing. But there is something powerful to that argument, that, uh, that a biblical worldview really does make sense of um, whether it's a simulation of the biblical worldview, wouldn't that point out that this isn't the real reality, there may be a reality beyond this. 
Well, and, and I, I think that's an incredibly powerful point, because you look at what Scripture says, and it says, yes, this is very much a very real world. There's no—it's it's not artificial reality. It's actually real. It's just not the ultimate reality. And, in, you know, and the reason why we can believe that is because God has revealed that to us through His Scripture and through His creation. So what we discern with our minds, what we see in creation, what we understand in reading, all of that can be trusted, because ultimately it flows out of we're being created in His image. And so, you know, the only place the idea that there's a reality beyond this universe is a problem is if naturalism is correct. But if Christianity is correct, that's exactly what I would expect. So in some sense, we are part of a simulation with that little caveat that this is actually a real place. All right. So do we have any evidence of uh, the idea that there is something beyond our reality? Do we have any scientific evidence of that beyond uh, a biblical worldview right into the science worldview? Well, I think when we look at this world, you know, scientific description of this world, 14 billion years ago, uh, Big Bang, we started out in this very hot, dense state. The universe is expanding as it grows colder. Galaxies form, planets form. Ultimately, Earth forms about four and a half billion years ago. Earth formed um, as uh, things uh, happen here on Earth. You have life introduced about 3.8, 4 billion years ago. Um, life shows this development of being simpler in the past and getting more complex in the future, and ultimately human and humanity introduced into the scene somewhere on the order of 100,000 years ago. Now, if we look at that, um, the idea that this universe began to exist, you know, whether that's the Big Bang or whether that's part of a multiverse, there's this lot of evidence that everything began to exist. Well, if, some, if it began to exist, then there's something that's the cause of that. And so I think the idea that scientifically that our universe looks like it had a beginning in some fashion, that points to a beginner, something outside of this reality. So yeah, I think there is scientific evidence. And even when we look within the creation, we see a lot of fine-tuning, we see evidence of design. When we look at life, I mean, there, there's just lots of things that point to we, can, we understand the design and creation because we are designers ourselves, and that points to us being made in God's image. And so I think there is a lot of scientific evidence that points to the idea that there is something beyond this universe and something that actually created this universe for a purpose, our, our, our existence here being part of that purpose. So, Jeff, I want to pull out from you, both as a man of science and a man of faith, the question that we're asking today, uh, what is truth? How do you know what truth is? We can camp on ideas and we can attack people because their ideas are different. We see a big division in America. We see uh, news reported that one side will say is fake news and the other will say, no, this is the truth and, and vice versa. So we really just have this subjective idea of what I feel is truth is truth. But how do you know what truth is? So that, that's a, a far bigger philosophical idea than my scientific mind has, has wrestled with. But I, I do know that there's this idea of the correspondence theory of truth. What is true corresponds to the reality of the way things are. One of the things I love about science is that you don't get to say, well, this is the way things are. It's like, no, you've got to go out and say, okay, this is your idea for how things work. Does it match reality? So if you say, 
gravity works this way. You got to go out and actually make measurements and show does that actually correspond the way that reality behaves. It doesn't matter what you would like to be or whether you think it's elegant or what your background is. There's this common framework of saying, okay, we're going to take our ideas and measure them against reality and, and what we can see and taste. And there are facts that we can all discern upon and agree upon. And so, uh, you know, the part of the problem when you deal with that politically is that as of right now, it doesn't seem like we all agree on what the facts are. Um, you know, just the discussion around the vaccines and COVID-19 and even the election, there's a whole lot of, I just don't think people agree on what the facts are. But that, again, that's what I love about science is that um, you can get in and investigate and you say, okay, this, this instrument made this measurement. We have to explain this measurement. And everybody agrees that that's the measurement. That's data that we all have to incorporate and explain. And so I, I do think part of the big reason why I'm a Christian is because I think it's true that when I look at what Scripture says, when I look at the way the world operates, that Christianity makes the, is the best explanation of all the data that's out there, that there really is a God who cares about us, who created us in His image, sent His Son to die for us so that we can live with Him forever and eternity. I'm a Christian because I think that's true. If it's true, it's spectacular, and I'm excited about that. But if it's not true, there's really no reason to believe it. This is this is true, <laughs> if I may say. <laughs> and it's fun to to delve into some of the, the crazy ideas that are out there, the ponderings of, of a, a mind and soul. But when it comes down to some of the most important truth, I would say the idea of God, who he is, what his interaction and expectation of us is, is probably the most important thing. And as you mentioned, a biblical worldview, I point out quite a lot on, on this program that of all religious texts, the Bible is fairly unique in its entreating us to challenge it. Go ahead, challenge it. Bring it on. <laughs> Essentially, God in the Michelle version uh, is it's like the Michelle International version or the Michelle Hardly National version. Uh, it's like God says, come on, bring it on. <laughs> Ask me the hard questions. Go ahead. Challenge me. Uh, and I don't mean that we need to do it irreverently. I'm just saying that it is fairly right. unique in that. No, uh, that, that's an excellent point. And one, one of my favorite passages out of Scripture is, you know, John the Baptist, who his, his he, this is the, the person who recognized Jesus while he was in the womb, whose life was dedicated to preparing the way of the Messiah, who baptized Jesus, heavens opened, heard the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's in prison getting ready to die. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we wait for another? <laughs> and it's like, if anybody should know that, it's John the Baptist. But Jesus' response was not, oh, come on, John, you should know better. You know, John, you just got to have faith. His response was, well, here's what the data says. What do you think the best explanation is? Yeah. You know, and he sent it back and he said, what, is, what does reality say? You know what the Messiah is supposed to do. And he gives him a list that says, Here's the data that points to it. You don't have to just believe. Believe because it's true. And so I, I love I love the way you said that. It invites us to test it. It invites us to see whether it's true. And every test I've seen thrown at it, it's stood up with flying colors. And so again, that's why I'm a Christian, is because I think it's true. 
and because I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions and make sure that what I believe is true. And can we just throw out a, another scripture that leads to the the website that I'm going to lead everyone to come let us reason together. Uh, you can go to reasons.org and that's really what it's about. Just kind of let's reason this out. Exactly. Uh, that's a great, great point. It's like, let's sit down and, and think through, be willing to realize that we've got biases. We've got wrong ideas. Uh, we've got right ideas. Let's sit down let's talk together and see what we can do. Uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoy having conversations, even with people who vastly disagree with me. If we can sit down and say, hey, where do we agree? Where do we disagree? Why do we disagree? That actually provides the fodder for me to now go out and say, okay, these are places where we disagreed. How could I go out and investigate that and understand it even more? Um, I, I would love to see more and more people do that, because I think if we do, that solves a lot of problems that we have, because it values the other person because we understand why they believe what they believe. And then we're, we're actually interested in discerning the truth so that we can help each other know that better. So I, I would just love to see that. And that's, again, what I love about Christianity and why I love even being able to talk about the idea that maybe we're in a simulated universe, because it helps explore these important issues so that we can get to the truth and believe that. Yeah, I have a theory that a lot of uh, the cancel culture, the shut out other ideas stems from our reliance on the scientific community that has been an un unfortunate leader in shutting out uh, ideas that aren't comfortable, ideas that challenge uh, highly, widely held theories with, well, truth. What are your thoughts? Well, I kind of ask your question, because are you saying the scientific community has been shutting out ideas? Or yeah, I think that they have. I think, I think that the scientific community is uh, a leader in shutting out ideas and saying, no, we don't want to talk about that. Or if you, even, uh, if you even hint at intelligent design or some kind of biblical idea, well, then it's not science and it's not worthy of discussion. And I think as we put a reliance on science in our society, uh, science has been a leader in in the shutout movement i i would agree that there are certain there are uh, people and there may be even a large fraction of people who've done that the the way i i would say it is as i have dealt with it is that science as a process is incredibly objective given enough time and enough resources to investigate it is it is incredibly objective process it's made up of people and people are not um you know and so there are people who uh, the, the beautiful thing about science is that if you give it enough time, the truth will win out as long as you continue pursuing what science is about. Um, you know, there for a time, you can have wrong ideas. Sometimes we just know that they're wrong because we don't know any better. And sometimes they're wrong because egos get in the way. Uh, scientists are no more objective than any of the other people in the world. Uh, they just have a propensity to want to go out and investigate. But they still, I, I can... I can tell you numerous stories of people who I know who are very prominent, good scientists who uh, exhibited very biased behavior. And so I, I want to be careful to distinguish that scientists, science as a process is very objective, but it's made up of people who are fallen just like you and me. And so we would expect some of that in there. And I think that's incredibly important why Christians need to be involved 
in the scientific community because the pro the, the process is carried out by the people. And so if we if we wanted to do it well, we need as Christians need to be involved in that and advocating for those ideas. And we can be confident that as we advocate, ultimately truth will win out. That's that's one of the great messages of scripture is that no matter how dark, how dim, depressing, or bad things seem, ultimately God's truth will always win. And so even in the dark times we can keep fighting and pushing for and, and articulating his message. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to glorify science as the be-all and answer to and, and of everything it isn't, but it is a great tool that God has given us to be able to understand this incredible world he, he's allowed for us to live in. And science helps us to understand the process of God. I mean, you mentioned that Christians need to be involved in the sciences. Well, think of, of the implications of there not being any kind of biblical influence. Ethics in science, uh, just because we can, should we? Where do those ethics come from? If it's just something we make up or we feel or uh, we don't have them at all, uh, the ability to reason together is very much a biblical idea. Some of these principles that uh, are interwoven in our universe are highly needed in order to advance in science. So, you know, it's it's like you can't have one without the other effectively. They really do. And, uh, you know, at least part of the reason why science has flourished so much over the last three, four hundred years is because it's been embedded in a society that uh, values Judeo-Christian values or that lives by Judeo-Christian values, because those are the values you know, the, and the, that anchor the philosophical presuppositions that allow science to work, that there are patterns and order and regularity, that we should study creation, that we can understand creation, that our minds, what, what our minds say about creation are reliable. I mean, these are the things that are anchored in a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so it, re- it really does make me wonder that if we cast off a Judeo-Christian worldview, how long will science be around or, or will it work? Because you really do need those Judeo-Christian values, whether you realize they're Judeo-Christian or whether you just adopt them because you think they're a good idea. You need those to be in place for science to work well. At least that's been the history of the last 400 years. Uh And so maybe that is evidence for truth as we look at what is truth and what is real. And if we really are in in assimilation, can we hack the assimilation so that chocolate is actually, you know, really, really good for you, like a perfect weight loss kind of a thing? I don't know, because that would be really cool. I just well, and it raises this. Big, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, it's, it's this interesting. Uh, I, I know that none of the gamma rays I ever simulated changed the simulation, but you know, we are conscious beings. So, what does that mean? Might we be able to hack the simulation? Uh, I don't think so, but who knows? <laughs> I'll leave it open for whether chocolate will ever be a health food or not. So. <laughs> it's a new kind of vitamin C to me. I thank you so much. It's so good to connect with you. It's always a lot of fun. You know, wherever our conversation tends to meander, it always comes back to the God story. And that's the story of reasons to believe. They don't just talk about science. They look at the evidence that points you to the ultimate truth of 
the idea of this amazing God and his amazing love for you and I. It's the perfect marriage of science and faith. Go to reasons.org. Pick up some of Jeff's books because he's not afraid to ask these crazy questions. And it is so much fun. And you are as well, Jeff. Thanks, Michelle. Again, as always, we've had a lot of fun, and I appreciate uh, just where we go and what we get to talk about while we engage. I want to share with you something that's changed my life. Uh, It's a product, and I used to take it when they paid me to talk about it at the radio station. And when I left my job, I stopped taking the product, right? And everything went south. It's Calitrin. It is a collagen supplement and the best out there. A lot of people take it for weight loss. I mean, people are losing anywhere from 10 to a couple hundred pounds. That's great. But for me, what it did is it helped me sleep. It helped me focus. My hair, skin, and nails were looking spectacular. It is amazing for those who may have arthritis, achy joints, that kind of thing. But man, it really is a fountain of youth in a bottle, and I could feel its effects when I stopped taking it. So I contacted them and said, hey, do you want to be an affiliate? You know, you don't you have to sponsor my show. Just give me an opportunity to get the product at a special deal and to share that with my listeners. And that's what we're doing. So go to mymichellelive.com, click on the link and learn more about Calitrin, my favorite product. Whew, well, I'll give you something else. Here's some truth for you. Lisa J is our producer. I know that as a fact, and she is awesome. I also know, Lisa, you've got some Geek Beat News lined up for us today. Because I'm a geeky girl. Geek Beat News. Because I'm a geeky girl. Geek me, girl. I have got some great geeky news for you guys today, and these are all from Buzz 60. And after listening to this first one, I'm going to have to try this as soon as we get done talking about this, Michelle. Canon lets you on their website take control of their satellite out in space and take pictures of the Earth. So cool. Are you an Earth lover? Have you ever dreamt of taking pictures of our beautiful planet from space? Well, now you can, as camera maker Canon is giving you free range of its private satellite's camera. The CESat-1 satellite was launched into space way back in 2017. But this month, the company has launched a new website where they hope to redefine our limits. The site lets you see what their satellite is seeing in real time, zooming in and out on whatever area it happens to be orbiting over. And of course, allowing you to take some seriously breathtaking photos with a PowerShot S110 and an EOS 5D Mark III DSLR, equipped with a 3,720 millimeter telescope. And while using the site, you're also getting cues and photo feedback from real astronaut Marsha Ivins. But it's not just about taking great pics. The satellite is also helping keep track of ocean pollution, wildfires, and even traffic. With the website insisting, quote, it's not just redefining how we see our planet, it's helping improve it, too. Okay, our geek beat news for today you got some more oh yeah now i think i have to get me one of these for my house because this robot that they use in germany it can sing it can tell jokes it even raps 
all while cleaning the hospital. This is Francisca. She's a hospital cleaning robot at a facility in Munich, but she does a whole lot more than just clean up. This robot weighs in at 440 pounds and costs more than $52,000. But according to those at the hospital, since being uh, hired, it's been money well spent. She not only cleans floors with less than a liter of water per hour compared to the 50 needed for conventional human mopping, but she also saves time and frees up cleaning staff for their other more important duties, like disinfecting and cleaning more oftenly touched surfaces. Surfaces, but her skills don't end there. Apparently, she's also a pretty good singer. And she tells jokes. I'm sure it's funnier if you understand German. Still not convinced? Here's what one of Francisca's team members had to say about the bot. She's a great cleaning force, and the best part is she brings a lot of joy. She can sing, she can rap, she can tell jokes. It is actually the greatest added value that Franzi brings in here for us. All right, all right, I'll give you that. That's geeky. Let's geek up just a little more. Let's turn up the geek volume. Now, my dad used to always get me 3D jigsaw puzzles for holidays, birthdays, and I used to love putting those together. And I never thought that that would be the way that we would build full-size homes. But they have found that building full-size homes, like a 3D jigsaw puzzle, is very good for the environment and it is very cost-effective. So in the future, we could all be living in jigsaw houses. This house might look simply a bit more modern than those next door, but this could be the high-tech house of the future. That's because it was put together like a 3D jigsaw puzzle. This is what designer Miranda Plowden calls the wiki house, and she designed it in a bid to make more environmentally sustainable homes. But unlike some that might be 3D printed or prefabricated on wheels, these were designed not to compromise customizability or aesthetic. The design for the wiki house is open source, and with computer-assisted cutting, each piece of the home can be manufactured off-site before being transported to the building site and pieced together. And the method doesn't simply shorten build time. The resulting homes are better insulated, more sustainable, and more customizable than traditional ones. But it's not only the house that's meant to be more environmentally friendly. Plowden is also a landscape architect. And rather than a green grass yard in the area around the newly fabricated homes, she's installed a flowering meadow instead. We have to do this. We're now in a climate emergency. There's, you know, we don't have any choices, really. We have to jump to solutions that are gonna, that are gonna sustain the human race on the planet and change how we live and how we build and how we operate. Saying the meadow of greenery needs only be cut once a year, saving money and fuel that would otherwise be needed to maintain the area, lowering the home's overall carbon footprint. And there's today's Geek Beat news for you. Thank you, Lisa. Today, as we wind up our program talking about truth, seeking out truth, I thought I would share this with you. It's from Prager University. Now, you tell me what you think about truth and our subjectiveness where truth is concerned and you know what's true for you may not be true for me and well you know we talked earlier science can't always give us what truth is but logic can certainly steer us in the right direction truth is going through a tough time truth can't be relative if it is relative it's not truth to say there is no truth for all people is to declare a truth for all people in effect, you're saying it's true that there is no truth. And to declare that both your and my opinions are true, even if they contradict one another, is to speak nonsense. Truth is an opinion or preference. It's not subjective or relative. It is inescapable because reality is inescapable. No amount of double talk will change that. And that's the truth. Thanks for joining with us today. See, there's a deeper truth, and it is the God story. That's what we share here 
on My Michelle Lives podcast. Every Tuesday, we do that with SciTech Talk. If you are interested in more of the God story, will you email me and we'll just chat about it? We'll just chat. If you like what you heard, help us grow what we're doing. Help us reach the world with a God story, a logical, non-judgmental, hey, we just want to look for the truth together God story. If you believe in what we're doing, support us, uh, like us, share us, tell your friends, and be blessed. We will catch you next time. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.